You're listening to the JT The Brick Show, where the Raider Nation has come to sound off and react for over 20 years. What a day, what a day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920. AM. Here's your host, JT the Brick. We are out of the gate, JT with you on a big day today. Mike Mayock is about to speak, and we're going to take the press conference live on Raider Nation Radio on 920 AM and the Raiders mobile app, the Raiders website, or however you get this show. Welcome to the show brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town from 5 to 7, midnight to 2, and you're home for the NFL draft and the First place, Vegas Golden Knights, as they are an official partner of VGK. And how great has VGK been? How great have they been here over the last couple of weeks? So we're fired up about that. So busy show today. Eric Allen is going to try to fit us into his schedule, the former semifinalist for the Hall of Fame. He was just a semifinalist, one of the great Raider defensive backs to play for the Silver and Black. And my partner on the Raider pre- and post-game show, which is really a blessing for me and an opportunity of a lifetime. When I first had my run with the Raiders pre- and post-game show, I hosted with George Atkinson, a guy by the name of Artie Gigantino, and the former quarterback, David Hum. And it was one of my favorite times, as the Raiders were always winning. They were always in the playoffs. They were winning. They went to the Super Bowl. We did shows in front of thousands of people outside the Oakland Coliseum where Metallica was playing in the back of the end zone. The black hole was rocking. And I'm hoping that this is the start of that again with Eric Allen at Allegiant Stadium where we're going to be hosting that pregame show in front of a large, large group of people inside the stadium, which will be a lot of fun. More details on that, uh, more details next week as we get you ready for what we're going to be doing with our draft coverage along with EA and Lincoln Kennedy and our entire team here on Raider Nation Radio. We have a lot lined up because this draft pick is a real big deal. At 17, we're assuming it'll be the 17th pick. I've been saying that it could be good if they move up from 17. I'm putting together my mock draft with my sons, which I'll post, and I hope to have it posted by Monday. But I hit a wall this morning as I was working on this mock draft around 20. Right around 20, I don't know who to pencil in because so many players are gonna be gone, and I really have to understand the need of all of these other teams at 22, at 25, at 27. So the best players that I would still have left on my board, I can match them up with those teams. But that's what happens with mock drafts. You think you have an idea going in, and then the mock draft board changes completely, and you have a completely different board that's coming up. So we'll wait for Mike Mayock here. Mike Mayock has been working and grinding. You know, Mike's not a guy, when he jumps on, when he jumps on the radio, or jumps on television, which he's done with me, he's busy. We had him on the TV show once last year, filling in for Coach Gruden, and we've had him on the radio a couple of times. He's always been kind to me with his time, but I think he's been busier than ever, and he's probably going to get into it uh, during this press conference because there's a lot happening with this team, and he's not able to travel as easily as he's been able to travel in the past. And there's a lot more work with Mike Mayock now, trying to nail this draft, and I think the Raiders are going to be okay because I think that 17th pick, they're going to get a very good player. 
They're going to get a very good player at 17, and then after that, I don't know. This is one of the few times where I think the Raiders have to draft for need instead of best player on the board. And I wonder if you agree with me on that. At times, when you get to the second or third round, you make a selection and there's a player on the board who's just fantastic and you have to take him because you didn't expect him to be there. I don't know if the Raiders can do that anymore. I think the Raiders have to take the best safety, right tackle, best linebacker early in this draft if available. The Raiders have the uh, 17th pick in the first round. They have the second round pick, which is the 16th pick of that round, which is 48. And then they have back-to-back picks in the third round, which could be the key to this draft. I really believe that's going to be critical. The Raiders have the 79th and 80th pick. Those are two third-round picks. What would you think about potentially trading both those picks at 79 and 80 and moving up into the second round? Why not? You'd get two second-round picks. Or how about trading up the 48th pick, the 79th pick, or the 48th pick and the 80th pick, and trading that up to move up in the second round. So instead of having the 16th pick in the second round, all of a sudden the Raiders have the first pick of the second round where they found Derek Carr years ago. So there's a lot of that, excuse me, there's a lot of that, (coughs) excuse me, going on as we open up the show. What do you believe, the Raider Nation, what do you believe is the best course of action here? And I think that Raider fans, in a good way, are more torn than ever on what they're going to be able to do in regards to that. What do you do? I think you trade up. I really do. We've seen what they've done in the draft. And I'm one of those guys that think the drafts are better than most people think because a lot of the players are still signed. John Gruden and Mike Mayock have a united front where they've told you that they're trying to rebuild the team with their guys, character guys, certain guys that they think fit their system better. And as they're doing it, as long as they don't cut those players and say goodbye to those players and they're still in the program, then I think that fits well for them. But they said goodbye to Arden Key. They've said goodbye to Mo Hurst. They traded Lynn Bowden. So if you look at at some of the moves they've made in the past, they're getting off players that they don't think can play. And there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, the draft, when you draft a player, if the player you think is really good and you take a swing and you go draft him and then you get him in the building and you find out two years later he's not the player you thought he was, get him out of the building. Get him out. That's what they did with Trent Brown. They've watched Trent Brown play. They paid him a lot of money. They had to make decisions on the money in the future. They said, get out of here. You don't want to be here. You're not as good. You're not available. But what happens is the critics then say, well, that was a waste of money. And that pick was a bust. And there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, if you're going to take a guy like Lynn Bowden in the, in the third round and then Tanner Muse and then guys don't play, then you got to look back and that's where these evaluators, head coaches, and especially GMs take criticism. Now, the criticism for Cleveland Farrell right now, you know, he's still locked up for a long time. He's still cap-friendly for them. They're going to have to make a decision after this year or next year on what to do with them. And if he doesn't pop and become a virtual borderline Pro Bowl player, then what do you do? Let's go out to Henderson. Here's the GM, Mike Mayock. Do we, is Mike Mayock available? All right, we'll get you Mike Mayock momentarily as we go out to Henderson. We'll get you ready for his press conference when they tell me He's ready and available. 
Uh, we'll go out to Henderson. I see him talking now. But Jared, let's go out to Henderson where Mike Mayock is addressing the media. Opposed to say drafting at four or drafting at 12. Uh, I think the mindset has to be that depending on how you set it up in advance and then how the board starts to fall away. Obviously, the further you are away from number one, uh, the more multiplication and different numbers come into play. So uh, at 17, you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I think the, the board's going to fall a certain way. And how are we going to react? If, if it doesn't fall that way, is there a way to get out? Is there a way to go back? Okay, and, and I think a lot of GMs around the league are making calls right now. Hey, you're a willing partner. What do you think? Um, conversely, if you're sitting at 17 and a guy who you think is going to go, you know, 8 to 10 or 12, somebody who you really like that fits who what you do starts to slide a little bit, you've got to be willing to say, are we willing to take the chance to, to give up some draft capital to go get a specific guy? So to answer your question, Paul, and I've said this before, I think you've got to be nimble. You've got to be willing to go either way, and as the draft develops, make those decisions. And, Mike, I – Ideally, team going into the draft would like to have all their needs filled before and just be able to target best players. You obviously, from the outside looking in, it looks like right tackle and free safety are are some big needs that you guys still have. Do you feel you have the options internally at those spots, or are those spots that you feel you need to target next week? Uh, you know, I, again, I, I'm probably not going to get into too many specifics about what we're going to do next week. You asked me about right tackle. Uh, I mean, we, we've got a guy named Jared Jones-Smith who we signed off the street last week who we, we think is a chance to be a really good football player. Uh, kind of excited about him. I think, you know, obviously in free agency, whether it's the, quote, normal free agency period or what you've done on the street in the prior year, you're trying to set yourself up for, in the draft so that you can, uh, you can pl- take the best player you can take. And uh, we're very aware of our needs. And uh, obviously – when the needs fit up with where you are in the draft board, that's awesome. And when they don't, you got to be a little careful. Hey, Mike, uh, video with the Las Vegas Review Journal. There was a, a, a recent podcast by, uh, including a, a NFL former NFL executive, uh, who kind of painted John Gruden in unflattering uh, terms to work with, uh, and said that as a result of that, you know, it puts you in a bad position or a difficult position. Uh, can you elaborate on your working relationship with John Gruden and shed any light on what may have been said, uh, you know, uh, along those terms? Well, first of all, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, I really don't pay attention. So I can't comment on any of what was said by a, quote, anonymous former NFL executive. Um, all I can tell you is from my relationship with John is the two things I love about John Gruden and respect the most is he's got an incredible passion for the game of football and a work ethic that I've never seen. Those two things I respect as much as I can respect anything. And I just try to, to match his passion and work ethic. Uh, Mike Ed Granning from the review journal. Uh, obviously you'll have new faces, no matter who they are on the offensive line. What more or what, additional onus will this put on Tom and obviously you guys have great faith in him as a coach and what he's proven over time in terms of at least early on kind of molding it into the line you want to see. I think it's an interesting, uh, I'm, I'm actually, you know, it's funny because I think people, the public perception is, ah, oh, the Raiders, you know, they, they, they made a bunch of moves on the offensive line. Therefore they're going to be worse there. And I'm kind of energized by it to be really honest with you. And 
we redid our left tackle's contract, Colt Miller, and I think that showed our locker room uh, that we were really willing to be uh, really aggressive in signing one of our own and somebody we believe is a cornerstone, right? And then people are like, well, yeah, you, you traded away one of the best centers in football, and we did. But you can't make that move unless you think you've got somebody right behind them that can come in and compete. So, you know, we look at an Andre James and a Nick Martin and say, look, we, we feel like we can compete at center. We think we're getting younger. Uh, I'm excited and energized by what our offensive line room is starting to look like. And I'm excited and energized because I think Tom Cable feels the same way. So we have all the respect in the world for Rodney and Gabe and, and Trent. But at this point, you know, we made a conscious decision to try to get younger, maybe a little bit more athletic, and let's go. And I can't wait to see how we react. Hi, I'm Mike, Levi Damian from USA Today. Um, last year in the draft, because of the way the offseason went, you had said that that was the reason why you wanted to have all your picks in the first four rounds, and you were able to do that. Well, it's looking like this season, this offseason might be kind of similar. Do you feel any differently? You have three picks past the fourth round. Do you feel any differently this year about this draft in that regard? Uh, it, it's an interesting question because it, it was a little bit of a different year. The positive is that we, at least we got to go to pro days. And sometimes that sounds trivial, but it's not to me. I went to a bunch of them. I like to see guys move. I like to feel them. I want to feel a guy coming off the line of scrimmage. I want to feel a quarterback throw. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to sit and meet with the kids, which I think is the biggest downside to the whole thing. Um, so that part is different than last year. At least we were out in the road. We got to speak to a whole bunch of college coaches. You know, that would, I, I enjoyed that. We still had to do some Zoom meetings this year. I don't like that. Even though we get a lot of information and we got after it, it's not the same as sitting down with a kid, having dinner with him, having lunch with him, watching tape with him. Um, it's a little different conversation. So um, that's kind of a long way of saying that I think this we didn't have a combine, so we don't have medical. like So the, there's compare and contrast between last year and this year, some positives, some negatives. The medical's really hard. You know, we're still scrambling on medical right now, as is every team in the league. So to answer your question um, – I think we're going to have some sort of off-season program, you know, and, and therefore I'll feel better about getting the kids in our building rather than them being at home Zooming. So that gives you a little bit more latitude, I think, in the draft. But, again, it, it's, been a, it's been a crazy two drafts. That's, that's all I can tell you. Hey, Mike, um, do you think you need a free safety? And also what are your thoughts on this free safety class uh, in, in this draft? Uh, I thought Jeff Heath did a good job last year. Um, Jeff's been in the league several years. Uh, we're always looking for competition. I think the free safety position in the draft this year, uh, I think there's some good players through the first three or four rounds. And then after that, uh, I think you got to target some guys that might be corners, might be nickels, be a little bit creative. But, uh, you know, we've grinded this whole defensive back class pretty hard, just like every other position. Hey, Mike, Jerry McDonald, after after every draft, you and you and John are pretty adamant about, you know, we want the guys that love football, the guys that are really into it. So how are you going to deal with opt outs? Each, you know, the, the guys that didn't play in the last last year. And what do you yeah. want to find out about those guys? We've had some pretty lively conversations about that. And, and you know, um, I think the right perspective is, look. 
every kid is a different case. Okay. So the way I look at it is, for instance, if you played the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, your conference basically opted out on you. Okay. And a bunch of kids had to make decisions at that point as to whether or not they were going to hire agents and go work out for the draft. And a bunch of them did. And had they come back once the Pac-10 and Big 12 or Big 10 and Pac-12, excuse me, once they said, oh, yeah, we're going to have a season, they weren't even sure how many games they were going to get to play. And if they came back, then you're looking at having to pay back an agent who might have gotten you a car or set you up at your workout clinic. So it's a lot deeper question. We sat down with kids on on Zoom and asked that question to every single one of them. And... uh, some of them talked about their parents and, and having relatives that died from COVID and having to go home and take care of family. So uh, do I think some of them may have used it as an excuse to get out of football and go train? Sure. But at the end of the day, it's really hard to figure out which ones. And that's why you got to really just continue to drill down on the kid, what his play demeanor is, what his coaches think about him, uh, all your different sources, because, um, it's really a can of worms, and I think every team will look at those opt-outs a little bit differently. Hey, Mike, Ross Dimate here from Channel 13 in town. Um, a lot of reporting lately that the Raiders and MGM want Allegiant Stadium at 100% capacity for the home opener. What excites you most about that idea, and what concerns, if any, do you have about uh, fan and player safety as it relates to 100% capacity? We were 2-6 and six at home last year. We were six and two on the road last year. So getting fans in those stands are pretty important to us. Uh, We want to turn that stadium into a home field advantage. Uh, I can't speak for player safety, fan safety. That's for all the government officials and the NFL officials. All I know as somebody with a vested interest in getting out there in an exciting filled arena, we can't friggin' wait. That place needs to rock and it needs to be a home field advantage. You're listening to the Mike Mayock Press Conference on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Mike, you guys have hit it big with FCS guys such as Brandon Parker and Max Crosby. Would you say it's a little harder to really go after these smaller school guys in this offseason, or you just kind of have the same mentality and being able to know as much about these guys from these smaller schools as possible? Yeah. Information is king in any draft, and it's gotten harder and harder to collect the appropriate information the last two years. I mean, that's it in a nutshell, right? That's what these last two drafts have been about, collecting the proper information, and there have been different challenges. So if we feel good about a small school kid and collecting the information, uh, watching the tape, heck, let's go. Let's roll. But um, it, it really is difficult. And, for instance, forget FCS just for a second or or small school, big school. You know, it's just what about the guys that, for whatever reason, haven't played since 19, big school or little school? Now you go back and watch 19 tape. Some of those guys have been out training for a year to get ready for their pro day or combine, and now guys are lighting up pro day numbers left and right. How legit are those numbers? How do you feel about the medical which is still trickling in each day. We just started getting medical a few days ago. Usually we get it right after the combine. So I'm literally finishing up draft meetings uh, this week, and we don't even have medical grades on a bunch of guys that we that, that we can trust. So, you know, we're digging hard on medical, and I think 
it's a great question, and I think the answer is every case is an individual one. Big school, little school, it's just how confident are we in the information that's been collected? Hey, Mike, obviously there's a new defensive voice uh, in the building, Gus Bradley and, and his staff, um, through free agency and now the draft process. Uh, how is his presence uh, being felt, and what's the uh, relationship uh, uh, with, with those their new guys? Yeah, I, I mean, I've known Gus for 20 years, I think. Uh, and what's cool about Gus is he's got a way about him that's inclusive. And by that, I mean whether it's the players, the fellow coaches, the scouts, he's all in. And he's trying to help you make your job better. I mean, we were in, um, I think it was February meetings in our draft room with the scouts. And he came in with mask on, but 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 all gregarious. And, and he said, I need two minutes. And two minutes became two hours. We sat in there and picked his brain for two hours when he just came in to kind of just say, hey, you guys got anything for me? Can I help you? Two hours later, it was like, oh, my God, he's got to get to a meeting. Um, and that happens every day with Gus. Uh, just just a very outgoing, infectious guy that wants to – he's one of those people that connects other people, if that makes any sense. And I think that's an awesome attribute for a coordinator. You've had – some picks out in your two years that have worked out pretty well, some that not, not, not so well. What lessons have you learned doing the job in this, this role versus what, what you were doing before? What lessons have I learned? Uh, I think I have to uh, stick to my gut after all the information is collected, after everything is in, um, and – when you make decisions, you got to make them from, uh, you know, you have to take everything into account. You have to take all the coaches' opinions. You have to take all of the scouts' opinions. John and I sit down together and grind it together to come to a consensus. But at the end of the day, uh, the best way I feel good about myself is when I know that I feel good about that kid from A to Z. And if I make a mistake, it's for the right reasons. Hey, Mike, when you guys uh, brought back Nick Morrow, um, in your mind, does that kind of tell you that the um, linebacker core is kind of set? And why did you want to bring Nick back? What excited you about Nick playing last year? Well, even though I wasn't here when he became a Raider, a small school kid, not drafted, I feel like he kind of grew up in the Raider family. And uh, I thought his best football was last year. And I think each year he's gotten incrementally better. And now you can see him kind of turn his speed on. He can run. Uh, this is a league right now predicated on run. You got to run on, and I don't mean run game. You got to be able to run, okay? And I think we needed to get faster on defense. I think we've made a conscious effort to get faster. Uh, and I like having guys that can run. And whether we're in base or in sub, Nick can play. So um, on top of all of that, again, uh, I thought it was great that we were able to bring back one of our own. Uh, and that he trusted us enough to come back and say, yeah, I want to be here. Hey, Mike, a, a lot of talk about the lack of depth along the uh, interior of the defensive line in this draft. Just what, what are your thoughts about that position? And, and you just mentioned Gus and being in those meetings and, and letting you know what, what he would like. What would he like to see from an interior defensive lineman uh, going forward on this team? Well, I, I think you'd have to ask Gus that, and, and uh, as far as what would he he would like, um, or Rod Marinelli. I mean, I, I I'm with Rod a couple years now. I think I know what Rod likes. I mean, to preface it, we have eight defensive tackles right now. Um, 
that's plus or minus what we typically take to camp. We, we've had a lot of movement there on the defensive tackle front, and we think there's some talented guys. Now, we obviously need a couple guys to hit. You know, Sol- Solomon Thomas is a former first-round pick, still young. Um, we're excited about him. I mean, we're excited about each of those guys for different reasons. Uh, we've got five, three techniques, three noses. Um, we've got, I believe, more talent in there than we've had before. Now we've just got to convert it to production. Uh, as far as outside on the defensive line, obviously Ngakwe was, was a big deal for us, and he gives us a little bit of a different presence than we've had before. With with Max coming back healthy, you know, Klee had one of his best games against the Jets, and then he got hurt. Um, we need to get these guys healthy and keep them healthy. And, you know, we look at the last two years, we need to finish, you know, six and four and six and three. No excuse. we got to finish. So it's depth. It's staying healthy. Uh, and, and hopefully this draft is going to help us get there. Mike, uh, Adam Hill, Review Journal. Uh, you talked about some of the medicals being slow to trickle in and still trying to do all the due diligence there, uh, and then the not being able to you know, sit down and have a meal and, and a close conversation with guys. Sometimes yellow flags check out, and you're like, okay, we're not concerned anymore, and sometimes they become red flags. D- does that whole thing make it more difficult to look at a guy that might have some questions and, and really invest in him, not having that opportunity to be around him? It does. Um, I'm a big believer that when you get on a kid's campus and you get to have dinner with him the night before a pro day or just as importantly sit in a meeting room with him and put some film up and spend an hour picking his brain face-to-face, not over Zoom, uh, on top of that, the 30 visits. We haven't had a 30 visit since 2019. You know, the 30 visits, you get 30 players in your building for a day, not for an hour Zoom call. You get 30 players in for a day. You can grind the heck out of them for a day. You can have some fun with these guys. You can figure out which guys love it and which guys are worn out by 2 in the afternoon. You know, when they're in there with the coaches, the position coach, the head coach, the coordinator, the strength and conditioning, they're meeting with a lot of people, and you find out a lot about a guy over a day. It's a little different when you have a 15-minute interview or an hour Zoom. They've been coached up. You know, it, it's a whole different process. And it's a great point about the yellow flags or the red flags. You're trying to either eliminate them or endorse them and go, yep, that's a problem. He's done. So a big part of getting ready for a draft is, is getting your draft board down to a manageable size. And that's been the hardest part with the lack of medical and, and sometimes a lack of confirmation, <clears throat> excuse me, on who these kids really are or aren't. Mike, you had uh, mentioned Henry Ruggs and uh, Damon Arnett as guys that, uh, you know, you wanted to see from the physical standpoint get stronger and all of those things that need to happen between year one and year two. Uh, any update on, on, on those two guys uh, in terms of that? I'm excited about both of them. Um, I don't think there's any question in our building how talented they both are. Henry's got to get stronger. Damon's got to get stronger. They're both spending an awful lot of time this offseason, both with the strength and also the conditioning aspects. Um, I, I'm, in my mind, we're going to see different guys. And I, and I made a comment a couple of months ago about rugs and about that whole class last year needing to step it up this year. And I, I still believe that. And, and from Ruggs' perspective, I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. We kind of we knew exactly what he was. 
and that's who he is. We we had no surprises last year on rugs. Now he needs to take it to the level two now, the next level up. Stronger, better route runner, finish, get both feet down, all those things, and we think he will. Same thing with Arnett, up and down year, injured, COVID, all kinds of different issues. We need consistency and effort, and, and I'm a big believer in both those kids. I'm really excited to see him play this year. Was the Mike Mayock press conference, the GM of the Raiders at the Raiders facility in Henderson. Okay, thank you, Mike. All right, everybody, that is it. It is back to me, and they just wrapped it up with Mike Mayock at the Henderson facility, the Intermountain Healthcare Center, and you just heard the GM of the Raiders. You got to have a reaction to what he said, and I'll go through some of the notes. 702-365-9200. Where do the Raiders go after you just heard moments ago the GM speak? Important time to have a comeback to this. 702-365-9200. Brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore on Boulder Highway in Henderson. Why pay more? They have the super deals you're looking for. Sharks in the offensive zone right wing. Gambrell put it toward the net. Out in front, Theodore. Now it's a diving stop by Flurry. Oh, my goodness. Noah Gregor at a wide-open cage. Flurry somehow reacted, dove back to his left, got there just in the nick of time like he teleported. Yeah, the Golden Knights won again last night. They are rolling. JT back with you as we continue on. Good to have you today. We just heard from Mike Mayock, the GM of the team, and we'd like to get your reaction on the flagship station. That's what NFL flagship stations do. They carry the press conference live, and then they get reaction from the fans. We're on the Raiders app. We're not counting on Vegas. I cannot count on Vegas to call in every day at this time. I count on the Bay Area. I count on everyone else listening on that Raiders app. Uh, That's why I have this show. That's why we have all these partners. That's why we're getting this many downloads. So if you're listening and you're a Raider fan anywhere, you just heard from Mike Mayock. What is your reaction? Did he hint at anything for you? Did he tip his hands? I don't think he did. But he told us that Jared Jones-Smith is the right tackle they signed. They think he's got the ability to play. Okay, that was interesting. He talked a lot about the opt-out players. And he spent a tremendous amount of time, tremendous amount of time, talking about medical information and how all teams, especially the Raiders, that medical information is still trickling in. Usually has everything they need by after the combine, and they don't. So what does that say? Can you sense that there's frustration that maybe there's a player or two that either opted out last year or a player that was injured could be on the Raiders' radar and they don't have all the medicals just yet? That, that's something I took away, and I think a lot of the other beat writers who I'm following are looking at too. So your opinion on Mike Mayock, 702-365-9200. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor, who's supposed to join us later on, I thought that was a really big question he asked about the podcast saying that he didn't get along well with Gruden and Mayock just squashed that. Said he had no idea what that was about. No idea. And I thought it was interesting he talked about Gruden's worth ethic, which is a really important point on what is the strength of John Gruden. He's got a Super Bowl ring. You'll never take it away. His work ethic is second to none. He works harder Because people know and can document how hard they work. There's there's been enough coaches who work with Coach Gruden, and they all say the same thing. He's a lunatic when it comes to working. 
Okay, so we know that. And, you know, he's had a couple of drafts with Mike Mayock here. And, and people, I think it is fair for people to speculate of what their relationship is going forward and how they're going to come up with players together. Because we all know, we all know, and I don't think it's an elephant in the room, that John Gruden's got fi- final say on all football matters. And that shouldn't be hard for any Raider fan to understand because that was what it was for the entire time Al Davis was alive. Al Davis had the final say on every single draft pick, period. So I have no problem with that because that's why John Gruden got a 10-year deal for $100 million. So how do you feel about Mayock after hearing him? Sounds like he is grinding as hard as ever. He mentioned that a few times on what he and his staff was doing. 702-365-9200 on that press conference on a Thursday as we get going here. And again, these are the type of shows that I really want to hear from you on when I talk to Gruden, when we play a press conference of Mayock, because you're the front line, the Raider fans that are supposed to have an opinion on this. And lately it's been tough because there have been fans that have been really critical of the draft. Not by so much the players selected, but their development. And that, to me, is the real reason why Gus Bradley was brought in. Gus Bradley, if if Gus Bradley was the GM of this team, follow me for a second, if he was the GM, I think there'd be a lot of players getting fired. There would be. I mean, if Gus Bradley took over this roster and said, hey, I'm the GM, I didn't draft Arnett, I didn't draft Abram, I didn't draft Cleland Farrell, And maybe he'd say, I'm done with these guys. I'm going in a different direction. You're not hearing that from Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock brought these players in, and he talked about the confidence that he still has with Henry Ruggs III, which is big, and Damon Arnett. And he talked about them getting stronger. They need to get stronger. Well, I didn't hear that much last year that they needed to get stronger when they were drafted because there were stronger players. Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb were stronger than Henry Ruggs. And they didn't draft those guys. They took rugs for a reason. John Abram played 30 minutes in his first game as a rookie. And then last year had an up-and-down year. And then he talked about Arnett, who had an up-and-down year. So the guys who have had an up-and-down year since they've been here, excuses die, the record stands. I think it's safe to say that if you don't see good play, I mean improved play out of John Abram, Damon Arnett, and Cleland Farrell, that there could be change on the horizon. Now, the good news for those guys, good news for them is they have Gus Bradley, a new coach who's coming in and is going to teach him new techniques and hopefully put him in a better place to make plays. And that's important to me because at, at times you don't want to throw away a player. Happens all the time in baseball. You got a player in baseball, he's in a slump. And the next thing you do is you jump in and you say, okay, let's get him a new hitting coach. Let's change it up. Let's move them down in the lineup. Let's do this. That's exactly what's happening with the Raider defense. He also mentioned, I think, a very important player, Solomon Thomas, who comes in who's still young, who was the third overall pick in the draft a few years ago. They're counting on him to stick and be an impact player who can play at a very high level. So this combination of what we're going to see with Mike Mayock, along with Gus Bradley, is very important to me because Gus is going to save these guys from being cut, traded, or let go at some point. So I would embrace this. If I was John Abram, if I was Henry Ruggs III, well, that's offense. If I was, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, Cleve Farrell, and especially Damon Arnett, I'd be walking around saying, this is great. I believe I have a coach that's going to get more out of me, a coach that believes in me, but I know if I don't get it done, he's going to replace me. 
and that's the process heading into this draft. He mentioned free safety, where Mayock said there are good free safeties in this draft. I think they're early. Uh, if they're going to draft a free safety, this has been a position where they haven't been great at in the draft. So I'd like to see them sign veteran free safeties who have been in the league who can play instead of taking another shot on a drafted safety who might not play well. So that's a very important point to me. But with all of this together, you know, it's good to hear Mike Mayock talk. I think he has a vision. And I believe in that vision, and this draft is big. 702-365-9200. Jared's in for Bobby today, and we got a lot to get to. Joe Fortenball will join us from the Daily Wager. The draft from a gaming perspective coming up. Brought to you by Grimaldi's Best Pizza I Ever Had. Five locations right here in the Valley. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. It is second down and goal for the Raiders to start the fourth quarter. Jacobs a running back. Rugs in motion. Car rolls to the right. Receivers cover. Come back. Wide open touchdown. Jackpot, baby. Touchdown, Vegas. Darren Waller. Vegas regains the lead. Uh, sounds good. The godfather, Brent Musburger. We are proud to welcome Modelo as a new sponsor of the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio. Modelo is the official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. Modelo invites you to watch the NFL draft at the Westgate with fellow Raider fans. The Black Hole, sponsored by Corona. I'll be there on Saturday afternoon to watch the final rounds. I'll be there. Can't wait. We welcome Modelo to the show. I cannot tell you how excited I am about that. You know I got a bucket of Modellos in my backyard every Friday ready to roll. All right, Joe Fortenbaugh, kind enough to join us. I think he's one of the best, one of the all-time best, and he's in here in Vegas now. Joe, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you coming on. How are you, my friend? Brick, I'm doing great, and it's always a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for the invite. One message I always can try to convey to people this time of year when it comes to the draft is that this is the most beatable of all sports betting events on the calendar. It's literally the event that the bookmakers will tell you they hate booking this action because they know they can be beaten. Now, people might think, all right, what's this guy all about? He's just rambling. Not rambling. Listen, this isn't a sporting event. You don't have to handicap it. You just have to stay on top of the news cycle. And if you stay on top of the news cycle and you get to the book, you get to the counter, you get to that betting slip on your website or your cell phone faster than the bookmakers can change the information, you have an opportunity to beat them. It's really just about staying on top of the news cycle and understanding which players are some of the best in the NFL that could go in that first round. So I love this time of year. I'm fired up, man. Yeah, Joe, and this is great. I'm happy you bring that up because it's all always about value for the better. And if you and I have been friends for a while, we talk about it. You're in the business. It's hard to win consistently if you're a sports better. It is really hard, especially now in sports with COVID. And as I tweeted out earlier today, these NBA teams, they tweet out their starting lineup. And most of the nights, one or two of their stars or one are not playing it's tough to do, but when we get to the draft, are you talking about more of a futures bet that's been made this week or recently, or are you talking in-game during the draft? How do you do it quickly if someone comes off the board early that you're not expecting, and then all of a sudden the board changes? You know, most of what I'm doing is prior to the draft. I, uh, I'll make a lot of my bets in the few days leading up to it, and some people will tell you that might be foolish because you're not getting the best price. Okay, I can understand that, but I think I'm getting the best information. I've been doing this since 2008, and one thing I've noticed is that in about the 48 hours leading up to the draft, 
That's when you start to get the real information. Nobody knew Baker Mayfield was going number one overall until the final 24 hours, right? Like, that's when we really start to get a sense of some of the key, key moves. And you really only need one, because one domino might set the rest of it up. For example, if we knew, if we knew with absolute certainty that Mac Jones was going three to San Francisco, there are a series of bets we could look to make as a result of that. Mac Jones under, in terms of his draft position, which might be nine and a half, depending on where you shop. Um, the 49ers taking Mac Jones. Uh, Trey Lance over-under. Justin Fields over-under. There's a domino effect. So really just getting ahead of maybe one or two key pieces of information. I've made some, some bets at this point. Um, I'm continuing to track a lot of wagers, and I'm just waiting for that big avalanche of news that's eventually going to surface next week. Joe Fortenbaugh, Daily Wager, ESPN. So let's stay with Mac Jones. You covered the Niners when you lived in the Bay Area before you got to Vegas. And I'm so intrigued by this because Jimmy Garoppolo is 100% healthy. We recently saw Jimmy Garoppolo go to a Super Bowl. And I can understand why Shanahan wants to get off of him and go in a different direction. We saw, we saw, saw it with Sean McVay with the Rams wanting to get off of Goff, and they bring in Stafford. But we're not talking about bringing in Stafford, a proven veteran, potential Hall of Famer. We're talking about bringing in a rookie in Mac Jones who doesn't have that big a high of a ceiling. What are you hearing through your Bay Area sources? Are the Niners bluffing or are they sold on him? You know, so that's the bet I would make. And I'm not, I don't have inside information and I'm not locking this one up, but I did make that bet at plus 175 that Mac Jones would be the guy. I know a lot of people look at him and they compare him to Justin Fields and they compare him to Trey Lance and they say that they don't get it. Right, Mac Jones was surrounded by all this great talent that made him look good. Mac Jones isn't as, is as athletic as the other guys. It doesn't make any sense. I, I get all that. But what I know from covering Kyle Shanahan is he just needs the guy who fits what he wants to do. That's it. We don't need the greatest quarterback that the NFL has ever seen to get in the Kyle Shanahan system in order to produce. Shanahan's got a great system, and that's part of the frustration of Garoppolo, is that when Garoppolo's on his game, he was very good. But the guy's always hurt. He's always hurt. He's hurt last year. He's hurt two years ago. And then in some really big spots, he couldn't make the key play. He overthrows Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl. He misses George Kittle wide open on, I believe, third down late in the fourth quarter to extend the drive. Like, it's just, he's a very, he's a good quarterback, but he's frustrating. And that's why they want to move on. Mac Jones is a guy who can do what Shanahan wants. Shanahan doesn't need 6'5", 255 pounds, 0% body fat, 4140. He doesn't need that. He needs a guy who can find the open receiver and hit him. That's it. That's what he needs because he's good enough to design plays for that offense to work. Jared Goff is not one of the brightest quarterbacks in the NFL. That's the frustration with Goff is that he doesn't understand progressions. He couldn't understand the playbook. McVay had to feed him the information. But McVay knows that if he's got a trigger man who can handle the offense, he can scheme guys open. Shanahan's got Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. Believe me, that offense can go. They just need a quarterback who can make quick decisions, process information, and complete a high percent of his passes. Oh, by the way, Mac Jones completed 77% of his passes playing for Alabama last year against the best competition in the country. It might not look right to a lot of people. I understand that. But if it fits what Shanahan wants, that's all that matters. So that's what I'm betting. Mac Jones, number three to the Niners. Joe Fortenbaugh joins us. So then, Joe, it comes to the over-under on where Trey Lance is going to go, and it's all over the place. A workout wonder. He's brilliant on the interviews. 
but there's no tape. There's no attempts. He doesn't have barely any attempts for a quarterback in the history of this league who could go inside the top ten. Where's the value on betting him? Where's the risk-reward with Trey Lance? His over-under is six and a half. So if you bet the under, he needs to go in the first six picks. If you bet the over, he needs to go seven or later. I would bet the over. And it's not an indictment on Lance. I'm not saying I would bet the over because I don't like him because he's not good. I'd bet the over because I just don't see it happening. I think it's going to be Lawrence one, Zach Wilson two, Mac Jones three, Kyle Pitts four. I believe that ultimately Arthur Smith, the new head coach, for the Atlanta Falcons and the new general manager there, they're going to take a game-changing player. They've got two more years of Matt Ryan on a contract that they can't get rid of. They can't get rid of the deal. It's like $40 million in dead cap money if they get rid of him in either of the next two years. Don't quote me. It's like 40 and maybe $38 million. You can't get rid of the guy. So why are you going to draft a quarterback just to sit him? I would bring in Kyle Pitts. I'd put him next to Julio Jones, uh, Calvin Ridley, and put him on an offense with Matt Ryan where you could score some points. Arthur Smith is an offensive genius. We saw what he did with Tannehill. I think he can do it there. So Pitts goes four to Atlanta. And then Cincinnati at five, and you can make this bet as well. It's plus money that they take an offensive lineman. It's also plus money that they take a wide receiver. I don't see it being anyone other than offensive tackle Penny Sewell out of Oregon, offensive tackle Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, or Jamar Chase, the wide receiver out of LSU. And they reunite him with Joe Burrow, who won a national championship together two years ago. Those are the only options. Burrow got killed last year in that pocket. 48 sacks allowed, fifth most in the NFL. they got to get him some protection. So if they don't go to the line, they're going wide receiver. I've seen it where it's plus 120 that it's an offensive lineman, plus 120 that it is a um, uh, a wide receiver. You can set yourself up with a nice situation there to turn a profit by making those two plus money bets, right? Put yourself in a good situation. And then that's number five. Pick number six is Miami, and they don't need a quarterback. Now, they could trade back. Someone could come up to take Lance. I don't see it happening, so I go over six and a half for Trey Lance. Wrapping it up with Joe Fortenball. Joe, finally, trades. Some have been made already where teams move up. They're positioning themselves, but I think you believe that, like I do, this is a draft where I see the big trade. It could be Belichick moving up from 15. Other teams, as you mentioned, Atlanta could trade down just a few picks there. Where's the value on that from a gaming perspective and how that could blow up the first round when it comes to trades? Here's the thing. There's always an over-under on how many trades there's going to be in the first round, but you got to be careful because a lot of people are going to make that wager based on historical information. That's going to say something like, all right, well, the number's four, and on average there's 3.5 trades per year, so I'm betting the under. Remember, this is an unprecedented draft, okay? A lot of these kids opted out. A lot of them played unique schedules. Uh, Trey Lance didn't even play outside of that one exhibition game. There's a lot that teams are trying to work with. Some teams are punting on this. They're trading back to stack up as many picks as they can for what they feel will be more certain draft classes in the future. I can understand that, so I can see a lot of trades. There are other teams that are going to get aggressive because they have coaches and general managers on the hot seat. Chicago is one of those teams. You know, New England wants to get aggressive. It's not going to surprise me if Denver tries to move up a few spots to get a quarterback because it's about time John Elway started making something happen there. It wasn't too hard to sign Peyton Manning. Everybody in the world wanted to do that. So now you've got to go ahead and build a team, Elway, and he hasn't done a very good job of that the last few years. So I don't have a good number for you on the over-under. I'd say it's going to be somewhat unpredictable this year, and I would take that into account with all your handicapping. So, Joe, finally from this, it sounds like the world isn't ready 
yet or they haven't been up to speed on NFL draft betting. We're talking about new ways in-game. Sports books are popping up where we both live in Vegas. The world is changing. You're talking about the great value here and information that the fans have quickly and they can find in a bunch of array of ways, but it has the train hasn't left the station. Are we, are we talking about this exploding in the next two, three, four, five years? Because it seems like it's here right now. Compared to what it was in 2008 when I first started, I would have to find shady offshore sports books that would offer maybe five or six prop bets. Then I could find my locals or some offshore books the last five years, six years, that would offer more. Now you've got shops here in Vegas, JT, like Circa, that have hundreds of prop bets out there. Vegas was never allowed to take bets on the draft because it was one of these events that didn't have a box score. So you weren't allowed to wager on it here, but they've legalized it. And now, because all these books are in competition with one another, they want to have the best offerings to attract as many bettors as possible. So that's great for the consumer. You can shop around for good prices. You can shop around for good numbers. And everyone loves the NFL, so we're going to bet it. We all love college football. This marries the two, and it's an event that, let's be honest, it's just guys getting up reading names. When you add some action to that, it really, really makes the event incredible to watch. I mean, the whole thing is so intense with the trades and the picks and the over-unders. I'm being honest, man. I'm not just saying it because I'm on the show. It's been one of my favorite things to wager in my entire life. I can tell. We'll get you out on this. I saw you on a broadcast during an NBA game. I think it was the Philly game with the Nets when you were got you were live on ESPN Daily Wager as the line was moving and changing and I think that was close to a first correct me if I'm wrong what did you learn that night on the broadcast from an in-game perspective and the interaction with fans that's the future we did that last week for the Sixers Nets game it was on ESPN2 you could watch the traditional broadcast on ESPN or on ESPN2. You could watch the game, but it was the three of us, Doug, Tyler, and myself, as well as Kendrick Perkins, breaking down all the in-game betting options and talking about the game from a gaming perspective. And we got great feedback. This is the type of thing people want. We have so much technology now that people are into alternative broadcasts. They don't want to just get stuck with the traditional broadcast. So the idea that they can listen to guys talking about wagering, which is something they're doing in real time and they could maybe pick up some tips some tricks they could be entertained during the process very very popular this is going to be the future once the leagues warm up to the idea and feel confident with it the sky's the limit because the revenue is going to be there we did something for the nfl on e plus with the uh, titans and the ravens in the playoffs the nfl was happy with it the nba was very happy with this i think it's only a matter of time before golf and Major League Baseball and the NHL get on board, and we really start to ramp these bet casts up. Take care, Joe. Thanks for doing this. All the best, buddy. Keep it up. Always a pleasure, JT. Love you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thanks, Joe. Joe Fortenball right here in town. And as I said, if Joe Fortenball decided to do a radio show in Vegas, in my humble opinion, he'd be the best radio host in this entire market. He is a shot of adrenaline. ESPN's fortunate to have him on Daily Wager every day. And he comes on our show quite often, as that was brought to you by our good friends at Bell Solar. You'll be hearing more and more about Bell Solar and what they're doing in this city and what they're doing with our show. They're hiring sales professionals at 702-979-1277. Vinny Bonsignor joins us next, coming off the Mike Mayock press conference. And now, live. 
It's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. All right, welcome back. JT with you as we get going here. Hour number two. Coming up a really busy day today. Appreciate you joining us. We're brought to you by Sam and Ash. Sam and Ash Law, because you deserve what's right. Ashley from Sam and Ash will join us at the bottom of the hour. Always love talking to her. She's a diehard sports fan. She went to her first Henderson Silver Knights game. She just got her new Raiders license plate. She'll join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll connect with her. My teammate here who does a brilliant job, not only with the Las Vegas Review Journal and his podcast, but the work here on Raider Nation Radio. Right in evening drive at 4 o'clock, the great Vinny Bonsignor. And Vinny, let's begin with that press conference. We carried it live here, and it was interesting to me. You asked a lot of good questions. The relationship between John Gruden and Mike Mayock, what would you get out of that? Yeah, and um, you know, there's been uh, this, you know people people like to chime in uh, now and again. Uh, most notably, Mike Lombardi, uh, you know, recently on a podcast uh, had some uh, not very flattering things to say about John Gruden. I actually caught up with uh, Mike, uh, you know, uh, within the last week or so, and uh, you know, asked him to kind of elaborate. But you know, uh, when, when I at least when I uh, talked to him, uh, it was more along the lines of, "Hey, I'm not in that building." I can't really comment on that. So, um, you know, uh, it could be what he's going off of from the first uh, go-around working with, with John Gruden back in the day, kind of describing him as, you know, impulsive, somebody that relies on, you know, prefers veteran players over rookie players, wants to get his own guys in there. Um, it's funny, and it's kind of interesting and almost ironic, really, uh, because that scouting report, in my mind anyway, covering the Raiders now for the last couple of years, um, is, is almost obsolete. Younger players are dominating the Raiders right now. They they were one of the younger teams last year, starting eight first or second year players. They're going to get even younger this year uh, with the trades of Gabe Brown and uh, or excuse me, Gabe Jackson and, and Trent Brown and Rodney Hudson. Uh, and maybe most ironically of all, the quarterback that everybody thought and assumed that John Gruden was going to jet soon uh, immediately after taking over because he was going to go get his guy because that's what John Gruden does. Well, Derek Carr, four years later, is one of the few guys that are still standing uh, or, or remaining you know, from the complete overhaul. And they're headed into year four, and there's talk that you know, there could be an extension coming for Derek Carr. So you know, I understand that uh, there, there is an old scouting report on John Gruden, but I've been in this business long enough. Uh, so have you, JT. People evolve, people grow, people you know change over the course of years uh, of the years. And I would imagine that John Gruden sitting up there on the Monday Night TV booth, going to visit all these various teams and meeting with players and meeting with coaches, um, and, and and knowing John Gruden, I'm sure he was learning and absorbing and seeing things from a different vantage point and learning from those vantage points and maybe implementing it uh, into his own uh, thought process should he ever return to the coaching sideline. So I look at what he's done with the Raiders. It hasn't been all hits. Uh, of course, there's been some misses. That happens. Uh, but but the, the maniacal doesn't listen, only prefers veteran players, uh, wanted his own guy at quarterback and was going to do that You know, uh, as soon as he took over. I just haven't seen it. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. Vinny, the only evolution that I want to see from Coach Gruden going forward is just most more explosive red zone 
offense. And he's admitted it a hundred times. A hundred times that I can remember he's brought that up, that he's got to get better. He's got to get better. They got to be better. First and goal with Mariota at the four-yard line. I would think that Coach Gruden, as well as I know him, wants to embrace that because I think he's a great play caller, and they've been adding weapons, and they have stability at the quarterback position with someone who completely knows the offense. Do you expect to see a different red zone offense from the team this year? Well, and it has to be. And, you know, what's interesting, if you go back from 2019 to 2020, the Raiders actually got a lot better in the red zone in terms of overall efficiency. If you go back to 2019, there were times they weren't getting any points whatsoever, (laughs) too many times, uh, in the red zone. Stupid penalties would knock them out of the red zone. Uh, You know, not converting on a fourth and goal uh, to give the ball over, you know, to the the other team. Um, Turnovers. You know, so there were there were a lot of times in 2019 where they weren't getting any points whatsoever. Well, they actually improved that uh, considerably in terms of efficiency. The problem was, uh, even though they improved slightly in terms of the touchdown ratio in the red zone, uh, it wasn't enough. So it, too many field goals rather than touchdowns is the bottom line. So, yeah, I expect them to be improved. It's, it's definitely been a point of, of emphasis. I think that's where guys like Kenyon Drake come into play. Uh, I think you're going to see Foster Moreau uh, now that he's completely healthy. Uh, he was a guy that had a nose for the end zone in 2019 before the injury. I think he, he's going to have a bigger role in that red zone. Um, I think that uh, you know the new wide receivers that they have can be an asset there. So I think there's going to be a more – there's more weapons – uh, in their mind, anyway, there's more versatility and there's more ways to attack uh, teams. And I think that some of these moves, uh, you know, were made specifically for a number of reasons. But I have to believe that the red zone efficiency, in terms of touchdowns, was a big part of the thought process. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. Catch him at four o'clock. You know, one of the thing on that point is, you know, I'm a fan of Derek Carr, but I work for the team, and we got to be critical when he doesn't have a good game, and he has a lot of good games. So there's a lot of games where afterwards, even if the Raiders lose, you look at his stat line and you say, man, he played pretty well, and the defense let him down. The one thing that I think Derek can control more this year is changing the play at the line of scrimmage. It's not year one, a babe in the woods, a rookie under John Gruden, afraid of getting yelled at. Talk to me about the evolution of Carr in the red zone when it's first and goal at the nine. He comes to the line of scrimmage with a Gruden play, and he wants to opt out of it, and he wants to use his legs. He wants to not check down. He wants to attack the end zone. Do you believe we'll see more of that? Well, we, we, you know, just across the board, we saw a lot more of that last year. And one of the things about, you know, watching games in empty stadiums, you could literally hear it. It wasn't yeah. just what you saw. You could hear him making changes at the line of scrimmage. And I've talked to teammates, offensive teammates uh, of his who, you know, he was a master uh, at, at that. He really has gotten to that point now where he has a mastery of this offense. And it shows in how he's able to, uh, you know, quickly get them in and out of plays and attack, um, you know, try to attack as many of the mismatches as they have. And that goes back again to the personnel now. Uh, when, when the Raiders can spread it out and, and put Kenyon Drake over at wide receiver um, and, and try to force as many uh, detrimental matchups as possible for the defense, can you imagine, you know, a linebacker having to defend Kenyon Drake at the line of scrimmage? That's, that's a matchup that I think that Derek Carr is going to, you know, definitely try to exploit along among you know uh, others that they're going to have um, th- this year. But, yes, in the red zone, 
he needs to get better in the red zone. Um, you know, what he dis- ultimately, the, the play calls that he ultimately decides to stick with or change to, um, you know, it, that, that element needs to get better. But, but I really believe that players just getting better. And Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards being that big wide receiver that the Raiders envisioned, um, it, it, you know, in the red zone, trying to figure out better ways to get Darren Waller the ball. And you know what? When it all kind of comes down to it, being able to get that push up on the offensive line, to get that yard, to get those couple of inches that, you know, far too often have been really elusive for them. And, and you know, uh, Josh Jacobs, the, the young offensive line. And keep in mind this, um, not as an excuse or anything like that, but no, just talking to Alec Ingold, from the Chargers game on, uh, the Los Angeles Charger game in L.A., when he broke his ribs, he was never the same player after that. And he is a huge part of their run game because, especially in close-yarded situations, forget him running the ball in close-yarded situations, his ability to block in close uh, you know, down situations is critical. And they weren't even able to use him like that. If you, if you remember, there were a lot of times where he was going in motion because they knew that they, they couldn't ask him to go attack a linebacker in blocking because he had two broken ribs <laughs> that he was playing with. So I think better health, too, is going to help in that regard. Great point by Vinny Bonsignor, our teammate, never misses show at 4 o'clock on Raider Nation Radio. All right, well, one of the things we're both trying to accomplish with our shows in a week is figure out that 17th pick, and we're both interacting with our listeners. How, who do you like? And the more and more homework that I do, I want Micah Parsons. I would trade up to get him. I think the Giants could take him at 11. If the Giants don't take him at 11 and he's available at 12, I don't think the Chargers will take him at 13. I think the Raiders got to consider moving up and get him. And then they'd be done with that position for five, six, seven years, and that wouldn't be a thorn in this franchise's side. Assuming they don't get him, I'm coming to grips that Tevin Jenkins the tackle out of Oklahoma State. I think Christian Darisol will be gone. I think Rashawn Slater will be gone. And that leads me to Elijah Veritaka. So I'm whittling it down to two guys who can play right tackle as starters or the best defensive player available. How do you see it? Uh, you're kind of reading my brain here. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the Micah Parsons uh, element looms large. Uh, and, and I'm just going to throw that out there. And I think, you know, I don't want to put words into Mike Mayock's mouth whatsoever uh, or thoughts into his head. Um, you know, he's fully capable of doing that. But he did mention the possibility of somebody maybe starting to slide a little bit uh, and maybe somebody that you thought was going to be, you know, drafted in the seventh, eighth spot, now all of a sudden falling into that 10, 11 spot. I don't want to sit here and say that he was talking specifically about – uh, Michael Parsons, because I'm sure there's a couple of players that they have in mind in, in terms of, hey, if so-and-so starts falling to that 10 and 11 spot, you know, surprisingly, should we be aggressive in going to go get that player? And I think that the work that Mike Mayock and John Gruden have done, you know, kind of rebuilding this roster, I know it hasn't been um, illustrated with wins, but I do think there's, there's ta- talent on defense. There's young players that, that, that I believe are going to get better and continue to get better on defense. I think Gus Bradley is going to make a big uh, difference on, on, on defense. So there is a foundation in place. But I think what they are lacking is that pure, just playmaker, game-changer, game-alterer defensive player that keeps the opposing offensive uh, coordinator up at night and that teams have to understand where the heck is this guy lined up. That quarterback is going to look across the line of scrimmage and figure out where the best player is lined up. I don't know if they necessarily have that guy. I think Agagwe is going to be you know, great along the defensive line. 
I think Corey Littleton is going to be better. But as far as that just scares the you-know-what out of you on a down-in, down-out basis, I think Micah Parsons is that caliber of player. I think he's the best player in that regard in this draft. And there are some red flags, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people are expecting some sort of a slide from him. Uh, he's a top-five player. I don't think he's going to go in the top five. See, if he does start falling into that 10-11 range, I almost think it behooves the Raiders uh, to go ahead and, and give up what it might take. And from what I'm hearing, it might not take as much as people might think. And I would be willing, if I were the Raiders, I would trade 17 this year. I would even think about trading next year's number one and maybe a mid-round pick this year. That's kind of the ballpark that I'm hearing that it would take to get up to eight, seven, around in that area. Uh, if I'm the Raiders, I, I seriously consider that because I think that a player like Michael Parsons, there's no guarantees, we all know that, but if, if he hits, he's going to hit in a big way, and he's that type of player that, like you said, um, is going to make it, is going to be kind of a game changer. I think they desperately need that on defense. Yeah, I've been saying that for months. I think that the Raiders need to trade up and go get Micah Parsons very quickly. Just one follow-up on that. Then we'd be dealing with the red flags from high school and college and the fact that he's coming to Vegas, which you and I know isn't a big deal. We live here compared to L.A., Miami, any other big city here. But again, you're bringing in a guy that people are going to ask questions. What about your past? What about the red flags? And how do you clean that up in Vegas? Yeah, and obviously, you know, uh, we are uh, at a distinct disadvantage because we don't have all the information. So whatever those red mm -hmm. flags are, we don't know how red <laughs> those flags might actually be. Uh, but if they're more along the lines of a yellowish flag, where, mm -hmm. yes, there's some rough edges, yes, there's some things that we need to be aware of, yes, there's some things that we need to be on top of, that's when you as an organization have to decide, okay, do we have the infrastructure in place in the locker room to absorb, you know, maybe somebody that's a little bit rough around the edges. Do we have the infrastructure throughout the building? And it goes beyond just his teammates. It goes beyond just the coaches. There's support staff in every building. There's people, life coaches, uh, you know, mentors, player, you know, former players that say, hey, man, here's my phone number. You ever get in a problem? You ever want to just talk? Call the number up. You ever stranded someplace? Call me up. I'll come get you. Uh, whatever the case might be, those um, um, elements are in place in organizations. And if you, as an organization, believe, you know what, we know that there's some things that we got to work through with this young player, as it is the case with a lot of young players. JT, you've been around this a long time. Nobody, rarely, does anyone step foot into an NFL locker room. A finished product. They're 21 years old for crying out loud. Just remember when you were 21. I know what I do. I cringe a little bit. So, um, it, but but if you as an organization have the necessary infrastructure in place to be able to get a guy on the right track and be able to be there for him uh, and help him through until he's able to cross that threshold from immaturity to mature, uh, then I think you, you pull the trigger on, on something like that. Now, if that red flag is super red, then understandably, you know, you have to stay away from that. Vinny, last one. I have the depth chart in front of me and everybody they brought in, even as recently Rasul Douglas. And there's a lot of people here that I think Raider fans realize aren't going to be here, especially on the defensive line interior. They brought in so many players, I think, to try them out, to test them, to see who's going to make this final roster. I don't have a lot of holes on this team. That's why I'm good with Micah Parsons, because if Morrow, if Littleton or Kwiatkowski, one of them had a sit, 
or not play as much because of him. Too bad. Deal with it. And it's the same thing on the offensive line. There's more offensive linemen available than I think most Raider fans understand. But if they're going to take one at 17, he's going to start. He better start. He cannot be a developmental player here. And I think that's a really important moment here where Gruden and Mayark are at. They got to hit a home run with this player. And you summed it up perfectly. They can guarantee the home run by trading up from 17 into the top 10. If they wait at 17, we can't hear this. You and I will be together draft night. We'll have you on. I can't hear about a guy coming in here who's going to compete for a starting position. He's got to be a can't miss. And I think you and I agree on that point. Yeah, no, and without a doubt. And, and here's what also uh, puts the Raiders in a little bit of a position of power. Uh, if they want to trade up um, or, or, or they want to, you know, look, you know, off the top of our head, we could point to two positions where they desperately have almost – they have a need for a starter, right tackle and free safety. There's nobody that's mm-hmm. really distinguished, distinguished themselves enough at this point uh, in the process to say, yeah, that's the free safety, yeah, that's the right tackle. Everywhere else, you can, pro- you can make a case that every other position is filled at this moment. Um, maybe slot cornerback. But, but the, the, what, what puts the Raiders in a, in a great position is that there's depth at both of those positions. So you can theoretically draft your starting right tackle in the second round, and this is such a deep draft that even the third round, uh, there's, there's starting caliber right tackles uh, that will be available at that point in the draft. And the same for that free safety position. And, and keep in mind, the Raiders do have two third-round picks, uh, and so that can help them if they feel like they need to move up you know, to get back into the second round or maybe even back into the first round, whatever the case might be, they have, um, you know, some, some draft capital to be able to play with. But even if they trade up, give up next year's first-round pick and maybe a fourth-round pick this year to go get a Michael Parsons at 48 and in that third round, they should be able to find uh, their starters uh, or at least somebody that's going to be able to compete uh, and push hard for a starting job at right tackle and free safety in that second and third round. What do you got coming up on the show today at 4, Vinny? Well, we're pretty much talking about exactly what we're talking about right now, and we're going to definitely take a deep dive uh, into what Mike Mayock uh, said. I, I really thought that him talking about the possibility of, hey, do we need to be aggressive and go get a guy uh, by trading up? You know, like I said, I don't want to put thoughts into or, or words into his thoughts or, or what he did say or interpret too much, but it sure sounds like they're, that they have their eye on somebody that has made them at least contemplate should we move up to go get him? Oh, don't be afraid to do that. You're a sports talk host now. <laughs> exactly. You're a, ju- you're a journalist, do, unlike me. When Raider fans come after me, they some of them think I'm a journalist. I say, no, I'm not a journalist. I'm just a <laughs> bloviating radio host, and you've joined into that fraternity and do a hell of a job. Vinny, we'll see you next week. We're really counting on your content next week leading into the draft. We'll talk then. Got you covered, JT. Thanks for having me on, brother. You got it. There he is, Vinny Bonsignor. What a tremendous addition, as I call him, the godfather of NFL relocation. All the people who laughed at Vinny and me when we said, I didn't know. Well, I was at the Super Bowl and met Vinny. I was at the Super Bowl when the rumor was the Raiders were moving to Vegas and everybody laughed at us. And Vinny went on Radio Row, came on with me and he had it and we talked about it. And then with our sources within the Raiders, we knew the Raiders had the financing with Bank of America when the deal fell out of place and everybody was panicking and then everybody laughed. Vinny and I both had one thing in common. We never wanted to see the Raiders leave and come to Vegas. I've lived here almost the whole time. I wanted the Raiders to stay in Oakland. But I realized before most that the politicians in Oakland were the worst in the history of sports politics. 
those creatures, those awful politicians in Oakland have ruined sports. Whereas the Warriors have gone to San Francisco, the Raiders have gone to Vegas. No team gets gives out more lies than the A's. Every year, the A's, the A's, we're going to build this Wizard of Oz Dorothy Stadium. It's all a lie. All they care about is selling root beer floats and getting 7,000 people to come, and they're the hottest team in all of baseball. So the Raiders left for a, an array of reasons, and we didn't want to see them. But once we had the Vegas information correct and we knew they were coming to Vegas, uh, Vinny, I said, you're the godfather of relocation. You have it, and we started talking about it. But never in my wildest dreams – did I think they'd come to me in San Francisco and say, JT, do a two-hour show up here before that happened? And then when my deal ran out, a little bit before it ended out, they said goodbye to me. And because of those 11 months, I'm going to pay for a kid to go through four years of college at Oklahoma. Who's laughing now? The Raiders are in Vegas. They're rooted in Oakland, where their great history is there. And I pay tribute to that great history every day. I love the Oakland Raiders and what the Oakland Raiders have done for me. And I'll be there Saturday night of the draft with the black hole and the guys who put me on the map as they're having their draft party over at the Westgate because we're friendly with a lot of casino properties here. And they're going to have a big party there. And we'll talk about what we're doing at the M Resort and Spa and just everything in town here as we welcome Modelo as an official partner of the show. Man, we got Remy Martin, we got Iole Tequila, and we got Modelo. Whoa, no mas. No mas. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take a vodka sponsor. Why not? Still going to have a, a vodka soda this weekend. It's my buddy Bobby G's birthday. He's in town. Ooh, it's going to be a long one. So a little golf, a little football, good weekend with great weather. Ashley joins us from Sam and Ash because you deserve what's right. She's on deck. Oh, but there is a flag. JT, as we're back here, wrapping up the week here. And we'll get you ready for a full week next week, including broadcast Thursday, Friday, Saturday, everything happening with the NFL draft, which is huge. A year from now, the NFL draft will be here in Vegas. How crazy is that going to be, considering what we need to happen to pull that off? We're brought to you by Sam and Ash, your personal injury attorneys. Give them a call whenever you want. They're our friends. I trust them. I'm confident they're the two best in town, 702-820-1234. We bring in Ashley from Sam and Ash. Ashley, good to talk to you. I know you're excited. You went to your first Silver Knights game. Tell us about that. Oh, my gosh, JT. Well, thanks for having me, and I did. A good friend of uh, Sam and mine and um, invited us to go to the, the Silver Knights game over at the Orleans re Arena, and, you know, it's it still it's empty because of the restrictions on occupancy but it's so much fun to see people still out enjoying sports and and sam and i both noticed it was our first live sports event since the pandemic started last march so we had a great time with great people and just celebrating our town and our sports you know, i'm really frustrated i'm happy you went because i've been watching the golden knights every game and we had on Bill Foley over a month ago. I thought the numbers were going to go up. What happened from going to 20 to 40 to 80 to 100%? Why are these baby steps along the way when we're told what's happening in June and everything's opening up, and then I find out they're moving back, you know, EDC and other things? What are you hearing because you're always talking to people in town? Yeah, you know, my, my gut on this is that the 
teams are in the stadiums, they could put more people in the arenas. They're just scared to do it, and they're scared to sacrifice any type of health concerns related to the team or the personnel at a time when we're getting close to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, I agree. Ashley joins us from Sam and Ash. Also, you got the Raiders license plate. Tell me about the waiting list and all that. People always ask me, what's my license plate? I, I No, no, no. No one needs to know. No one cares about my license plate. Well, you're driving around town. You're doing deals. You're in court. Tell me about that process. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've had plates on my car, and I've been looking at all the custom options around there. Do I want a VGK plate? Do I want the standard uh, commemorating Las Vegas? Do I want the Raiders plate? And so um, I ultimately chose the Raiders plate. I love it. It looks great on my car. And I, I just what Al Davis represented to this organization, you know, his commitment to excellence and just win um, – and the, the correlation between Los Angeles and Vegas, that really hits home with me. And I know Sam, you know, our firm, we do business in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. So if you're ever, a, if you're a Raiders fan and you're in Vegas and you get hurt, or you're a Vegas local and you're in you're L.A. and get hurt, you know, we're there. We're your home team no matter where you are. Ash joins us from Salmon Ash. SalmonAshLaw.com is where you go. Go to that website, learn what they do. They will take care of you, or you can call them at 702-820-1234. So I'm going to be very careful here because I usually don't go there. I talk politics, and I talk about social injustice when it gets involved in sports because, you know, I, I'm one of the few that I like to stick to sports, but I can't anymore. And I was disgusted with LeBron James's tweet where he doxed a police officer and put his picture up and said, you're next. Now, we don't seem to have any rules on social media, or do we from a legal perspective, because LeBron James ended up taking that tweet down. And I'll follow up with that, because when Mark Davis put up the I Can Breathe tweet, and then the Floyd family thanked him for the support, LeBron went after the Raiders, and Mark Davis did not take that tweet down because he knew what the tweet was about. Explain to me what LeBron did and how he could get away with this. Yeah, unfortunately, the social media is really, it's the wild, wild west. Uh, and I'm like you, JT, sports are supposed to unify us and politics divide us. So I like to keep those conversations separate. Um, and what LeBron did is he made a, a poor judgment and he made a tweet that was, um, it was out of very, very poor taste and, you know, it kind of showed the true character of who he is. And, and it's sad because I'm a Lakers fan and that's the leader of our organization publicly. And so I don't approve of it. I'm a huge proponent of law enforcement and, and it's a tough job. I don't envy the difficult split second decisions that they're faced with on a day to day basis. And, you know, and so I, I'm, I'm like you, it was disgusting to see. Um, and I think LeBron regrets it. And that's why he took it down. Cause he, even though the internet's going to circulate it for eternity, he doesn't want it to be part of his immediate brand. Ash joins us from SamAndAshLaw.com. You know, I, I said the same thing about LeBron. I give LeBron all the credit in the world. I'm one of the few who say he could be, he's tracking to be better than Michael Jordan. Sorry, it's true. He's going to lap him with every stat, every stat you could have, especially finals appearances and how many different teams he won rings with. So I give LeBron credit where credit's due, but actually he's one of the few brands that never take a hit if it comes to Hong Kong and China. Uh, this tweet which i thought was horrendous everything he does when he makes a mistake his brand never takes a hit because i think it's too big to fail is that fair to say 
I think it's fair to say, and also, you know, the NBA is relying, you know, on a brand that large. And so um, they're not going to come out and, and punish him or do, or talk against him and, and, you know, and separate and distance themselves from whatever he says because they need his support and they need his fandom. And so I think you're right. It's too big to fail and no one's going to point it out. I, I told you this a month ago, and I'm very humble, but I love to give myself credit when credit's due. <laughs> I told you that the Ubers were driving up in this town. You were drying up. Remember when we had that conversation? There's no more yeah. Ubers. I can't get an Uber. I live by Red Rock. Usually they're flooding out of there. I can't get one. It's 27 minutes, and then the ride cancels 17 minutes in. I said to you that that's going to lead to more DUIs. More people who are drinking are going to want to get an Uber, and they're not going to be able to get one, and then they're going to get in their car, and they're going to drink and drive. Have you been seeing the numbers? Is there some truth to what I thought about a month or two ago? Yeah, absolutely, JT. You you called it, and you're right. And, um, and unfortunately, we are seeing more instances of impaired driving. I think we saw on the strip a guy was on a pedestrian walkway with his vehicle at like 11 in the morning. So it's happening, and it's unfortunate, and I'm I'm just hopeful that these um, the trend will change and we will see more Uber and Lyft and rideshare drivers um, out there with each day that passes and, and hopefully reduce the number of impaired driving. I saw a story that was pretty aggressive on the news the other night. There was a fight on the strip and then there was collateral damage where an individual got hurt trying to break up a fight. Have you dealt with cases with that in the past where an innocent bystander is walking by, tries to get around chaos, and then all of a sudden gets injured because there's chaos there before the police come? Next thing you know, the fight is broken up. Everybody scatters and runs as the cop come, and an innocent bystander is on the curb injured. Yeah, you know, these are sad stories of people trying to do the right thing, and they end up being the, the injured party. And it is often really sad. When you see these scuffles going on on the Strip, I, I recommend you stay away from them. Um, nothing really good can come from it from your perspective as an innocent bystander. And I generally, I'm a, I love to help people. It's what I do on a day-to-day basis. But these late-night fights that we're still seeing, um, it, you know, nothing really great can come from trying to help break it up. Just, I say, get out of Dodge. Ever since I've been down to your office, I've been noticing breweries are popping up everywhere. A brewery row. What's going on down there? Tell us about the Arts District, where the office is, and all the revitalization and all the people coming down there. Oh, the Arts District's great. We love having you over and showing you what's going on. So our office is on uh, Casino Center in Charleston, and, you know, the foot traffic in the area is definitely increasing. Um, and on Main Street, just a, um, one street over, it is Brewery Row, and there's all these local breweries that have great little um, restaurants and, and tap rooms where you can sample their, their hits. And so uh, I'm, I was just given a map yesterday from someone in our office, so I'm planning a little pub crawl, and I'll have to <laughs> let you know when I go. That is the one thing that no matter how, how old the, our listeners are, how young they are, is there anything better than a pub crawl or a bar crawl like back in the day? That used to be so cool to be able to do that, especially when I was living on the beach in San Diego or in Los Angeles. Great memories of a pub crawl, right? Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun. You get to try all the local beers and, you know, your friends and get to interact with different groups and enjoy the weather and the scenery. And so I, I love it. So you're definitely invited, JT.
Well, I'm just waiting for the invitation to Sam's new digs when he opens that up for the opening night. I'll either wear a tux or I'll wear board shorts and flip-flops, whatever it takes. Ashley, tell everybody where they can find you, social media, how to call in, and what you're doing 24-7. Yeah, so SamAndAshLaw.com or at SamAndAshLaw is the firm on any social media platform. Um, and call us at 702-820-1234, 24-7. Uh, weekday, weekend, we're available and we're just um, here to help and answer any questions anyone has. I have you on my Rolodex. I have you on my phone. You are a great <laughs> friend. You have a great weekend. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. You too, JT. You got it. There she is, Ashley of Salmon Ash. Uh, they put up a nice graphic for the show that I tweeted out as they're proud partners of our show. They're a really big committed partner that we're very lucky to have. Uh, bringing accident victims justice, and I I really trust them. And in this town, as long as I've been here since 1996, there are a lot of personal injury attorneys. I have other friends in the business, but they're the best. You don't see them on motorcycles with their veins popping out with testosterone flying out. They're just good people you can trust, and they work harder than the others. Give them a call if you need anything from Sam and Ash or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. Bobby's off today. Jared's running a beautiful show, which we greatly appreciate it. When we come back, I'll tell you about what our schedule looks like next week and who I'm leaning towards, leaning towards with the Raiders with the first pick. Not who I want. I, who I want I don't think will be available Remember, I'm the guy that had Yannick Ngakwe a year before he signed. If I can go two for two and nail this draft pick, I'll be feeling pretty good about that as we wrap it up right here on Raider Nation Radio. Team up for excellence. Patch ready at the left circle. Side of the net. Score! Stone! Another slam dunk goal! And Vegas has tied it 2-2. And the Knights have won every game against San Jose this year. There's the horn. It's all over. Final score, Golden Knights 5, Sharks 2. Yeah, I love this Golden Knights team. I tell everybody that. They bring me tremendous joy at night when I'm on the radio. Some nights when I'm on the radio, in my office here, before we get back in the studio, I have the Golden Knights on. I'll be in the middle of a segment on Sirius XM, and they score, and I literally jump out of my chair. I want to see this team win a Stanley Cup. It's very important to this town. The Raiders win the Super Bowl. The Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup. UNLV football and basketball get going again. We're excited that you'll be hearing some aviator games, from what I understand here on this channel. So I can't wait for AAA baseball to get back. My wife and I grab a couple of chairs, and we've walked to the aviator games from our home. I love the $2 beer night. I love kicking it out there and watching games. My son worked at the ballpark the inaugural season, and we're pulling for Don Logan and everybody out at the Aviators to get that going. One of the jewels in the desert, jewels in the desert is Las Vegas ballpark, and it's pretty much been closed other than batting practice and a couple of events. We need that ballpark to open for baseball. I mean, what the hell's going on here? You wear a mask, you sit outside, you separate, and you play baseball. It is not hard to do. And by Major League Baseball pushing back Minor League Baseball at the AAA level is disgraceful. Now, Robin Leonard talked about it, made a lot of noise about the fact that there could be some mental issues with players now. And that that thing went viral. Uh, NHL.com picked it up, and he talked about the fact that he took the vaccine and he thought that some of the guidelines would be less restrictive. 
And he could be on to something. I don't get involved in Dr. Fauci's business or Governor Sisolak's business. I just know that we were all, been, we were all sitting here a month or two ago talking about everything opening up again. And I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it at the pace in sports. I'm not talking about nightclubs. I'm not talking about places where young people are coming in who aren't vaccinated. That could be a super spreader event. They move back to EDC, all of that. I'm talking about sports. Because over the last two to three weeks, I've been very disappointed to see that this local, local state government hasn't done a better job opening up T-Mobile for Bill Foley and the Golden Knights and getting more fans there. You know, you can't have empty sections and 10 rows that are empty. You can fit people in there responsibly. And we're going to need that because we need that to happen for Allegiant Stadium. You know, last year after the virtual draft, you heard Roger Goodell say about the NFL, and he was accurate. I thought they did a great job. They said, we have a lot of runway. We have a lot of runway to figure this out. And they, for, for, they pretty much did figure it out. They pulled off the whole season. They pulled off the whole season, but many teams did not have fans, including the Raiders. Now there's no more runway space. Now the Raiders need to be sold out in the preseason. This has to happen, and it has to happen here quickly. So over the next couple of weeks, I thought we'd be ahead of schedule, and I don't know what, what the holdup is, but we're going to find out here pretty soon as the pressure is on for these casino properties that are opening, for more and more people to show up to these sporting events. Ashley, who just came on from Sam and Ash, was, was kind about it when she said it, very kind about it when she said she's at the Orleans for the Henderson Silver Knights, and there's it, it, not a crowd there. I mean, give them an opportunity. The Orleans is kind enough to open up that facility to put on professional hockey. Let some fans go in there and buy some concessions to help pay for that. So I'll get off my soapbox there, and we'll get you ready for next week. Uh, The pick that I think the Raiders are going to make. So we're one week out. We're one week out, and next week we'll be close to making the pick. The Raiders will be making that pick. The player that I'd like to see him take, I've been telling you, from the get-go is Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. I just think he's the type of player that the Raiders need, and the, the excuses are done on why the Raiders don't need a linebacker. Give me a break. They don't have Ray Lewis. They don't have Lawrence Taylor. They don't have Brian Urlacher. They don't have a great linebacker on that team. So if a great linebacker is available, there is no excuse. Is he the perfect pick? No. But the Ra- I think it's the biggest need for the Raiders long-term. What I'm sensing with all the mock drafts I have in front of me is that the Raiders are either going to take Christian Darrisaw out of Virginia Tech or Tevin Jenkins, the tackle out of Oklahoma State. That seems to be where this is all shaping up. Rashawn Slater, it'll be Penny Sewell that'll go in the top five, I think. He's great. Another guy who opted out because he knew he, he was supposed to be the top pick. Penny Sewell, the offensive lineman from Oregon, is better than Zach Wilson, better than Justin Fields. But these other teams are panicking. He's much better than Mac Jones. But they're panicking to get a quarterback. So Penny Sewell is going to drop, probably drop to five. Then the next best offensive lineman is Rashawn Slater. I think the Chargers would take him before the Raiders. I think the Chargers have the need, and they'll take him. And then that would leave the Raiders with Elijah Vera Tucker, Christian Darrisaw, or Tevin Jenkins, Charlie Casserly of NFL Network, a former GM of the year multiple times with the Redskins and the Texans, have the Raiders taking Tevin Jenkins at number 17. And if for whatever reason, if they don't go right tackle, so I think Darashaw and Jenkins, and I'd go with if the draft was tonight, I think they'd take Tevin Jenkins number 17. 
Uh, but the other big thing that, that, that I'm thinking of is Quiddy Pay. So the edge rusher who could be available there, the great one out of Michigan who's very raw, but you can line him up in multiple spots on the field. He would be there along with, I think, Jalen Phillips out of Miami who's an explosive player. For everybody saying the safety, Trevon Morig, to take him that early, I don't know. I, I've seen the Raiders swing and miss at the safety position so much that I'd rather find them, I'd rather see them developing a veteran safety at that position. But if they think he's available, I think that'd be a little bit of a reach, but it would tell you what the Raiders think of team needs. And the need would be they got to get a free safety. And I think they could get a free safety by trading up. If they use the 17th pick and don't trade up, then they could use the other picks to trade up and get the safety if they see that safety available. This was, an, this was a long week for a lot of people. It was a very, I think, dramatic week with Twitter, all around sports. Uh, Robin Leonard's comments about that he was lied about by the vaccination rules. This was a dramatic week in Las Vegas. And I think we're all better on the other side as we come out after the Chauvin verdict came out and there was a lot of talk this week in sports again importantly so about social justice so when we have weeks like this it's very draining because the calls are intense the topics are intense and everybody knows that we have to talk about it and i thought that our listeners did an amazing job on the phones and on twitter so i greatly appreciate that i'd like to thank meet up vegas uh we i just got a new shipment right to my front door Wholesale meat, steaks, T-bone steaks, New York strip, and chicken. My wife says, again? I say, yeah, again, make room in the garage freezer. And we have that garage freezer because of Meetup Vegas. Code word is JT Brick. I'm telling you, get your meat that way. Don't ever buy from a grocery store again. I got the hookup for you. Meetup Vegas, code word JT Brick. Thanks to Bell Solar, Sam and Ash Law, my good friends at Remy Martin. This show is based around the friendship of Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. Grimaldi's. Best pizza I ever had. The Henderson Hyundai Superstore. You got a young young child who's looking to drive. We've all been there. Go there. Frank's got deals for you left and right. I can promise you that. We also want to thank our good friends from Modelo as they joined our team. So tomorrow I will have a bucket of ice cold Modelo's celebrating that deal bobby was off jared did an amazing job and we will be back on monday and we have a hell of a week lined up with great guests up and down the dial coming on raider nation radio 9 20 a.m have a great night everybody all right thanks guys have a great day